0: It is so good to be back. Um, Amanda, Amanda, and I had a a fantastic time in Tanzania visiting Brian and Mandy, our dear friends, dear friends of this church. Um, We had a fantastic time seeing Tanzania is a beautiful country. The people of Tanzania are beautiful people, amazing people. God is doing wonderful things there, and and especially getting to see what Brian and Mandy are doing. We we hear, you know, we hear things about what's going on there through their ministry. And uh, last time they came, they certainly shared with us, but it's, it's quite different to see it firsthand. So I can attest to you that God is good. He is faithful. He is working in and through Brian and Mandy and their ministry. And uh, many, many people's lives are being touched and changed uh, through the House of Victory. Um, we had some leisure time, got to see... Uh, when I think of Africa, I think of like the... Uh, the Animal Planet, you know, documentaries about, you know, like the wastelands where the cheetahs are chasing the gazelles, and, and there was that, but then 20 minutes away, there would be like this rainforest feel. It almost felt like you're in Hawaii or something. It was just phenomenal. So um, had some leisure time, got to uh, encourage and refresh Brian and Mandy, which was awesome for, for us to be able to do that. They were deeply encouraged and and also got to partner with them in ministry opportunities, both Amanda and I, which was just amazing so we 'll share more Wednesday night, but just wanted to wanted to just give you a, a sneak peek um, but it is it is amazing to be back. I, I was really ready to be back to my wife and kids and to my family here at church. Uh, just to be with you and worship with you this morning was um, was what my soul needed, so great to be here. Um, I'm going to read James one twenty-seven here in just a moment. That's where we're going to go this morning. But I want us just to take a moment before we jump into that. And I really want us to be stretched today. I really want us to, um, to allow God's Word to speak to us in a way that would leave us challenged. And challenged to the, to the point where maybe we're even a little uncomfortable and... Um, We're willing to say something like, Hey, listen, what you're talking about today, I don't know if I'm very good at this. I feel like I have a lot of room to grow, but Lord, help me do that. Um, The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from having to put on this pretense that we've got everything figured out, that we've got it all together. It, It just enables us to be free from that and just humble ourselves and say, I have not arrived. I. I have lots of room to grow, and, and this is something, whatever it might be, that I don't do very well. But by God's grace, he will cover my failures and give me grace to change. So that's what, that's what I'm hoping God does this morning. Um, I want to read James, actually, I'm just going to read James one twenty-seven, and actually not even the entire verse, and then let's pray and uh, talk about this verse for just a bit. James one twenty-seven says this. You can follow along in the bulletin or or open up your Bibles and follow. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We're just going to stop right there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, how it addresses us, and you are God, and you have the right to um, shake things up a bit in our lives and to correct us when we're off and to give us instruction and even give us commands that may not sit well with us and that is perfectly okay because you're God. So Lord, I just pray this morning that by your spirit, you would give me grace to speak accurately about this verse, that by your grace, you would open up our hearts to receive what it says and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. I pray that you'd come down, Holy Spirit, and be our teacher. As I open my lips, I pray you'd fill them with words from you, the notes that I prepared, and even things you might bring to mind. I pray that you would speak this morning, and I pray that we as your people would would have ears to hear and hearts ready to respond as you would direct us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. This verse, James one twenty seven, and probably a few other passages, I think of like Micah 6 and Isaiah 58, are oftentimes passages that are used to promote what is often called the social gospel. That the main effort of Christians ought to be to feed the poor and clothe those who don't have clothing and to take care of the sick around the world, all of these kinds of things, right? Drill, um, drill wells in different, different towns in Africa and things like that. These, these passages, James one twenty seven Isaiah 58, Micah 6, and some others too, are used to, to promote the idea that that is the main effort that Christians ought to give themselves to. Um, I don't agree with that, but see there, there's, there's two ways we can respond to that. We can respond by utterly rejecting any kind of social involvement in the world, feeding, clothing the poor, Drilling wells in Africa, all these kinds of different things, taking care of orphans and widows, those kinds of things. Or we can say, no, that is really important. We just need to get the order right. Two weeks ago, Jason taught on uh, James 1 18 to 25, verse 19 to 25. And in that passage, it talks about how. through faith in Jesus Christ, or we receive the word of Christ, the word of God with meekness, with humility. And when we receive the word of God with humility, it's able to save our souls. It brings salvation. And then he says, "But don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word." So we receive the word of Christ with humility, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and He suffered and died in our place on the cross. He was buried, he rose again. We trust that, we humble ourselves underneath that and it brings salvation to us. And then James says, but but don't just be a hearer, don't just be a passive hearer of the word, but that leads to action, it leads to doing the word. Since we have been saved through the hearing and receiving of God's word, verse 27 shows us that the inevitable and necessary life that follows is pure an undefiled religion before God the Father, and is caring for widows and orphans in their distress. I think we could say that pure and undefiled religion means the same thing as a pure faith in Jesus Christ, having a true faith in Christ. We're going to jump into chapter two next week, which will unpack that for us, but verse one of chapter two says this, the very next verse after the one we're talking about today, says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Pure and undefiled religion is faith in Christ and the life that flows from faith in Christ. The word comes to us, the word of the gospel, we receive it with meekness and trust in Jesus, and we are saved and then verse 27 is the first test of not being merely a hearer of the word, but actually a doer of it. So don't think of this, verse 20, uh, James one twenty-seven or Isaiah 50. I don't think we have this problem here. But don't think of this as some kind of substitute for having faith in the once-for-all finished work of Christ, but rather as the outworking of that faith in Jesus. Pure faith in Christ looks like this. It looks like this to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That's what James is telling us. Pure and undefiled religion or faith in Jesus looks like caring for orphans and widows in their distress. I want to ask three questions for the remainder of our time. Three questions and seek to answer them. The first is, why does James single out orphans and widows? Question number two is what does it mean to visit them in their distress? And question number three, why is this pure and undefiled religion? Why is this something that God elevates and loves so much and honors him? Why is this pure worship of God? Right? We just got done singing, we just got done worshiping God, and God says, in essence, if this is if this is what worship, if this all is all worship is to us, then it's empty and meaningless. So why is this pure and undefiled religion before God the Father? Let's look at question number one first. Why does James single out orphans and widows? In the Bible, there's many commands to share with all in need, to weep with those who weep, to pray for the sick, to love all people, to love everyone, to care about everybody. There are also commands to especially love other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to do that. But let's put that aside for just now, just for this morning. Here, uh, James points out people to whom we are to give special attention. I don't think it's by accident. I don't think James is just saying anyone who might have any kind of need. James is talking about a specific group, two specific groups of people. And I think we can probably expand it some, but not just anyone that we may think of that might have some kind of need. Orphans and widows represent the most vulnerable people in the time James is writing. I mean, is there anyone more vulnerable than an orphan who does not have a father and mother? In Tanzania, there are 3.1 million orphans. Many of them are, are, are orphans because they're neglected by their parents and they're put in orphanages. But 1 point, I think it's 1.7 million of those orphans are orphans because their mother died from HIV or AIDS. And perhaps her dad too. Is there anyone more vulnerable than the orphan who has no parent? Widows as well during the time that James is writing were incredibly vulnerable. If their husband died and they were uneducated, unable to make their own way with kids to take care of, if famine came or if there was war, they were certainly very vulnerable to suffer greatly because of that. The orphans and widows are the people in any society with the least amount of economic and social power. And God here is saying that he loves them. And he says all throughout the Bible, he loves them. And so should we. I think we could add to this group and say the homeless, the refugee, or the Bible calls them the sojourner. They're the refugee. The elderly, the unborn, perhaps In some cases, a single parent and the handicapped, mentally and physically handicapped. We see in several places in the Old Testament that God requires his people to defend the rights of the fatherless and the widow. Which means that we are to give them what we owe them in terms of the needs that they have. That's a a strange way for us to think. Give them what we owe them. That sounds strange, but that's the way that God speaks to us about them in the Bible. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 to 19 says, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or to the widows or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. It's interesting. He points out, you shall remember that you once were a slave. You once were a sojourner. You once were an outcast. You once were that vulnerable people. You were once a slave in Egypt, and the Lord brought you out and redeemed you from there. There Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in in your field, and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, for the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Later in Deuteronomy 27, God speaks a curse on those who neglect to do this. He says, in verse 28, Deuteronomy 27, excuse me, Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Likewise, later on in, in Isaiah chapter 1, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah at the very beginning of his prophecy and spoke very similar words. Here's what he he urges them in verse 17. He says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. But to God's great dismay, he looked down over his people, over the people of Judah, and he saw they were totally unfaithful. And just a few verses later, he says this in verse 23. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. And the widow's cause does not come to them. God identifies with the most destitute, with the most vulnerable. They are huge on God's heart and they should be on ours as well. So that's why God that's why James singles out orphans and widows. Question number 2. What does it mean to visit orphans and widows in their distress? What does it mean to visit them? I think the NIV says to look after orphans and widows. This is pure and undefiled religion to look after them, to visit them. The word visit here is a massive word and I think it means to be applied not in Not in small, domesticated ways, but in large, radical, risk-taking ways. Ways that, that require us to sacrifice. Not in small ways, but in big ways. In other words, it doesn't mean simply to drop by and visit someone and chat with them about the weather and just check in from time to time. That's good to do, but it's more than that. It also doesn't mean to simply feel sympathy for someone or a group of people or about a situation that someone's going through. That's really good. We should our hearts should go out to people, but it goes further than that. It also doesn't mean to merely merely pray for someone about a situation. You might say, merely pray. Of course, praying is massively important. But we are to go beyond just praying about a situation or praying for someone. We are to visit them, we are to look after them. To visit orphans and widows in their distress means to look upon in order to help or to benefit, to look after, to care for, even to provide for. The word visit has wonderful, redemptive qualities to it. Listen to what Exodus 4.31 says. God says this, or Moses said this, the Lord visited the children of Israel and he looked upon their distress, their affliction. God visited them and he looked upon their affliction. And what did that lead to? It led to salvation. God was was moved to bring salvation to his people. In other words, it means to be moved to action, to speak up, to get involved, to give financially, to present, to be present physically, to sacrifice for the sake of those in need. In James chapter 2, listen to what James says in verses 15 and 16. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's like someone comes and says they don't have food and clothing, and you say, you be blessed, brother. Pat him on the back right? I'm going to pray for you. And you have it in your means to help them. What good are our prayers? What good is our blessing if we don't give them? James just says very clearly, just says, if we don't give them the things they need. To do nothing to actually help is to have a religion that is empty is to have a faith that's dead. Question number three, I'm going to spend the bulk of my time here. Question number three is, why is this pure and undefiled religion before God the Father? Why is this? Why does God elevate this to this place of pure, spotless, undefiled, beautiful religion, worship before God the Father? Why is that? I have four four reasons why. Number one is because God identifies him as the defender of the widow and the father to the fatherless. And as we take on God's character, as we look to emulate and copy God and to imitate God, we will defend the widow's cause and love the fatherless as well. Notice it says, pure and undefiled religion Before God, the Father. Before God, the Father. Pure and undefiled religion before God. It doesn't say just before God, the judge, or before God, the helper, or before God, the provider, or before God, the protector, but before God, the Father. He is a Father. He is our Father. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, David calls God the Father to the fatherless and the defender of the widow. In Deuteronomy 10:18, God says that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So the first reason why this is so this is uppermost in terms of pure and unadulterated religion is because God identifies himself. God identifies himself as the father of the fatherless as the defender of the widow, as the one who comes to the defense of the most vulnerable in any society. And so we should too. We should too. Number two, why is this pure and undefiled religion? Because when you and I do this, it shows that we are looking to the reward that comes from God alone. I love how it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and not before man. Before God and not before the crowd. Before God. Pure and undefiled religion before God is to come to the aid of those who need it. Come to the most destitute and help them in real and practical and tangible ways. It shows that we are looking to the reward that comes from God. There's a kind of service that is merely before man and for man's praise. Jesus talks about this often in the, or in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And when we offer that kind of service and we receive the praise that our hearts crave from other people, it ends right there. That's it. You might say, crave from other people? <laughs> I'm talking me. Sometimes my heart craves for praise from men. But pure and undefiled religion before God seeks the praise that comes from God. When we seek praise from men and we get it, it ends right there. However, we forfeit the praise that comes from God alone. Of course, this does not mean that we won't do things that others will notice. It just means we're not looking for their approval. We're not seeking their praise. We're not looking to get glory from men, but we do what we do with a different motivation. We want to receive our commendation from the living God. We want to receive on that day when we stand before Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Don't we want to hear that? Don't we want that? Only one person here? Just joking. We want that, don't we? We want to hear our God give us his approbation, his approval. You have done well. You've done well. To love a foster child, to bring them into your home, to change dirty diapers, to feed them, to provide safety and protection for a period of time or perhaps for good through adoption, this is not going to make the evening news but it will echo into eternity. It matters to God. To visit a grieving widow and provide a meal for her, to help with rent, to help with things around the house, to help take care of kids, that's not going to earn you an interview with Charisma Magazine or Christianity Today. I was going to say, we need to interview that person. Probably not. But it will be noticed in heaven. To give a sandwich to a homeless man, to sit down and pray with him, share Jesus with him, and give him a sandwich and a bottle of water. To give an outfit to a refugee child won't be talked about in Hollywood, it won't be talked about on Wall Street, but it will be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. In praise of what you've done. Luke 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this When you have a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now, that doesn't make any sense if you stop right there. You're going to be blessed because they can't pay you back. Listen to what he says next for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You will get your reward, which will be so much better than all the accolades of men. And it will go on forever and ever and ever. When we give ourselves to break out of our own lives and our own world and give ourselves to tangibly and practically helping and bringing the gospel and practical needs to people, this is what we can expect, to be to receive a reward from God alone, though hardly anyone may notice on earth. Why is this pure and adulterated, pure and undefiled religion before God? Number three, it shows the gospel of God's grace. And this really gets to the heart of the matter. Listen to what James says. He says, Pure non-defile religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. It's to visit them. God saw a world in distress. And what did he do? It's not a trick question. He visited it, he came down, he humbled himself. Jesus took on flesh. Jesus, God, the God-man, was eternally the Son of God, and he took on flesh. He humbled himself. He left his throne in heaven, his place in glory, and he came down to earth. God would have been right to destroy the world. It would have been well within his right. We had rebelled against him. We had sinned our way into this mess. But he didn't. He visited it. At the coming of Jesus, when uh, Joseph and Mary are at the temple and they're going to sa- offer up their sacrifice for or bring their offering for uh, the birth of Jesus, I think it was eight days after he was born, Zacharias, this godly old man in the temple, said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us an accomplished redemption for his people. When we give ourselves to visit and go to them and love those who are the most vulnerable, whether it be in our church or our city or our state or our nation or, or even in the world, and we just we give ourselves in a sacrificial way, we show in bright, vivid colors the gospel of God's grace for undeserving people. We sang earlier about uh, on the mount of crucifixion fountains opened deep and wide through the floodgate of God's mercy great a grace and love like mighty rivers flowed incessant from above heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love God came down and visited our world, when he saw our distress and affliction. When we give ourselves fully vested in visiting orphans and widows, the handicapped, when we care about the unborn, when we love the homeless, when we care about these people and we, we care about them in, a very, in very practical and real ways, not just thoughts and sympathy in our heart, but it moves us to action, It reveals the massive heart of God in the gospel. Why is this pure and undefiled religion? Number four, because it gives evidence that you are a son. You are a daughter of God the Father. And this is to the praise and glory of God. I love how... The Bible says that God is not just a father. I mean, it does say he's a father, but it doesn't just, it doesn't just keep it in the abstract. He says, it says he is our father. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? He said, pray like this. First thing he says, our father in heaven. He's not just like an earthly father. He is a perfect, heavenly, glorious father, but he is our father. We get to call him our father. We get to call him, I get to call him my father. You get to call him your father. This is absolutely amazing. But you know, don't you, that you once were a helpless orphan, right? Before you were, the, uh, before you were a child of this heavenly father, you once were a helpless orphan. There was one day that uh, we, um, when we were in Tanzania, we took an excursion to this I don't know, it kind of seemed like an oasis just in this desert area, like this green hot spring we went to. And um, as we were driving there, we went through lots of these little destitute villages. And there were oftentimes little kids running around all by themselves or maybe in groups of two or something. And it, it just, it, it plucked a, plopped a thought into my mind. They probably had parents that were going to look after them later and find them or whatever. But that was like you and me at one time. We were just like a little child, wandering around in the wasteland and desert of our sin, lost and lonely. And God came and got us and said, you are mine now. You are now my child. You are no longer an orphan. You're no longer out there in the wasteland. You are mine. I'm bringing you into my home. I'm bringing you to my heart. I'm bringing you into my kingdom. You and I were helpless orphans wandering around and the father did not leave us to ourselves. If you are saved through the blood of Christ, if you trust in Jesus, you have to know this morning that that was you at one time and God came and got you. You wouldn't have found your way home. You wouldn't have found your way to him. He came and got you. Had we been left to ourselves, we would have died fatherless. We would have gone to the grave. We would have even gone to hell, separated from our Father in heaven. But God would not let that happen. Ephesians 1 says, In love, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace. This is all to the praise of his grace. Romans 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is why God sees visiting orphans and widows because we are saved by Christ as an overflow of our faith in Christ. This is why he sees this as pure and undefiled religion. Because he's the defender of the widow and the father to the fatherless. Because it shows that we are looking to our reward that comes from him alone. Because it shows the gospel of God's grace to a world around us. And because it gives evidence that you and I belong to our father in heaven that his seed is in us and that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? We are acting like him. We are living like him. We are taking up his cause. We're taking up his causes. So don't close your heart to the most vulnerable. Have you done that? I don't mean that you on purpose have turned away from them and said, oh, those people, I'm not going to do anything to help them. But have you gotten so caught up in your own life that you have essentially closed your heart to them? Don't hide yourself from their need. Isaiah 58 verse 7 talks about uh, uh, what, what true fasting is. It's to feed the homeless. It's to help those in need. And then at the end of verse 7, it says, and to not hide yourself from your own flesh. I think what he means by that is they're a human being made in the image of God just like I am right? We're cut from the same cloth. Don't hide yourself from their need. I so often do this. I do. I don't want to, but I just do. We get so comfortable in our nice Christian enclaves and we just think out of sight, out of mind. But hopefully we see now that this is unthinkable. We can't do that. You have received such grace from the author of life. Such grace. Freely you've received, Jesus says. Now freely give. Give the gospel and give what you have to help others in need. So who are these vulnerable people? Uh, I really, I'm really kind of done. I'm just praying that God would show us what does this look like? Who are these people? It is, it's the unborn Is there any more vulnerable group of people in our nation than the unborn whose mother is considering having an abortion? Over a million a year just in America. It's kids in the foster system here in America. Tons of them, thousands here in Iowa. It's overseas orphans. I mentioned 153 million. I think like 18 million overall in the world that are orphans because of AIDS and HIV. It's the grieving widow who's just lost her husband and doesn't know how she's going to make it for the next 20 or 30 or 50 years. It's the homeless. It's the refugee. It's those that have moved here because they've come from war- war- war-torn countries and they're looking for refuge Seeking refuge, it's the single mother in dire straits. I realize not all single parents are there, but there are some, there are many single mothers who just not sure how to make ends meet. It's the elderly. The elderly in our, in our culture, I think, are largely overlooked. It's the handicapped, physically and mentally handicapped. I pray that we would have a religion that is pure and undefiled. And I pray that God may help us and grant us the ability to love and care for the helpless child and the desperate woman and the handicapped and the elderly and the homeless. There are many others we should help. There are many other people we should help. We should love all people and help all people as often as we can. And God is able to give all grace to cause us to abound in every good work. But if we neglect these, I think James would say our religion is empty. It's empty. But when we, as adopted sons and daughters, get involved, we are simply acting like our father who got involved with us and visited us in our distress when we were lost and wandering in our sin and left to ourselves, we certainly would have died in our sin and received the just penalty of our sin. But he got involved. This is pure and undefiled religion. This is a living faith. And so let's ask God how he would have us get involved. Small ways, big ways. I realize not everyone's called to adopt, Not everyone's called to start a new ministry, but what are ways we can get involved and give honor and glory to our Father? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that... um, I thank you that you got involved with us. God, my heart was just so moved during worship today as I as I thought of the deep love. No love is higher. It's not, there's no love wider, no love deeper, there's no love truer than your love. And your love moved you to action to get involved in my life, to bring salvation sovereignly by your own grace. God help us to have your heart for all the people around us, but from this morning's message, especially for the destitute and vulnerable, the most destitute and most vulnerable in our city, in our church, in our state, in our nation, around the world, to care, to get involved somehow. That you be glorified, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.